New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. In 2008, Matthew McKay's 23-year-old son, Jordan, was suddenly shot and killed. The pain of such an event is devastating for any parent. Most people believe the loss of the body is the loss of life, but for Matthew, it was not the end of Jordan's life. It was a beginning of a quest to penetrate the veil of death through some extraordinary communications. These virtual conversations led Matthew to co-author a book with his son. Join us as we explore how nothing is lost in the universe, including love, with our guest, Dr. Matthew McKay. Matthew McKay is a clinical psychologist and professor at the Wright Institute in Berkeley, California. The Wright Institute offers master's and PhD programs to psychologists, as well as providing support and evaluation for the research needs of its students. McKay is also the founder and publisher of New Harbinger Publications. He's the author and co-author of many books, including the Dialectical Behavior Therapy Skills Workbook, Thoughts and Feelings, and Seeking Jordan, How I Learned the Truth About Death and the Invisible Universe. Join us for the next hour as we explore how death is not the end of consciousness with our guest, Dr. Matthew McKay. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Matthew, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I I want to go back, and I know this is not an easy subject for you, but go back to the shock of losing your son at such an age. He was so vital, and it was so traumatic. So can you just say something about that? It's, I think, absolutely, without doubt, the worst day of my life, uh, hearing that he had died hearing the words from the medical examiner, I have the worst news anybody could get, and not even knowing what he was saying for a moment. Um, and I and I went into kind of a fog, uh, as people often report have had a, a very large loss, and I was um, numb for a little while, and then in the worst pain I've ever known. At that moment, though, I did want to, 
I wanted to know two things. And I think this is something that anyone who, who's lost someone dear to them wants to know. Does that soul still exist? And is that person we love so much okay? Are they still, are they in a good place? And those were the questions that almost immediately started to preoccupy me. So when... When you thought of those, what made you start to pursue them, these questions, and how did you pursue that? Well, I'd already been interested in uh, the question of the afterlife. I, I had learned uh, to do a kind of hypnosis that helps people regress into past lives and life between lives, uh, something that Michael Newton developed, a very famous book he wrote, Journey of Souls, and he'd developed a way of helping people uh, learn how to access past and between life experiences. And so I had learned how to do that, and I, I never did it professionally. I did it with people I loved and cared for who wanted to have that experience. So I had grown interested in what the afterlife looked like long before Jordan had died. But once he died, and I no longer could touch him, hold him, talk to him, I had this intense desire to reconnect. And so I, I, I began looking for avenues to do that, means to really still talk to my boy. So what, what, was, what was one of the avenues that you first pursued? Well, the first thing I did, um, I, I'm a psychotherapist and I work a lot with trauma patients and I use a, a te technique called EMDR, eye movement, desensitization and, and reprocessing. And uh, it's designed to help uh, people recover from intense trauma. Uh, Alan Botkin, who's a psychologist in Chicago and who year, for years worked for the VA, accidentally discovered a, a variant of this technique. Uh, and the small variation in the protocol for EMDR produced amazing results. Uh, a patient he was working with suddenly had a full uh, visual and auditory awareness of someone he had lost in Vietnam as a young girl. And he was a, he'd been a soldier in Vietnam, and uh, he was going to adopt her and take her back to the States. And in fact, she, she died uh, in his arms. Uh, and this man had just had this enormous grief. As far as he and Botkin knew, they were just working on the on the trauma itself and, and using EMDR to reduce the pain that he carried with him. Suddenly he had his full experience of this girl, this young girl, telling him very important things, that she still loved him, that she was grateful for everything he had done for her. And it just took this man out of a world of pain that he had lived in uh, and, and liberated him from mm -hmm. that and, and gave him a strong sense that that those two questions, she still existed and and she still cared for him and was grateful to him. Uh, were there any people who had some idea at the moment of, of Jordan's death, any communication with him that they might have communicated to you that they felt something happened? Yes, um, his his boss at the time and and his dear friend uh, uh, Mauchi uh, woke up at a, the exact moment of his death 
with this great sense that something terrible had happened and um, a sense of something evil. And at the same time, uh, almost almost at the, that exact moment, he had a, a, a very strong impression of Jordan's presence in the room. Um, and actually, actually, in a certain location in the room, and he was, and he had no idea what had happened to Jordan. He had no idea why he felt Jordan was present, or that something terrible had happened. Uh, and only uh, a day later, when Jordan didn't come to work, did he discover that uh, what he had experienced must have been a communication from Jordan. So that was one of many communications that people had, but his occurred literally at the at the moment of his death. And so when you pursued this, like, communication to, to really find out the answers to these questions, is, is Jordan still existing on some plane, and is he happy? Uh, is he okay? So one, one of the people that you went to was um, a pioneer in consciousness, um, Dr. Ralph Metzner. And uh, so say something about your sessions with Ralph. Well, my experience, uh, if I could say first with Botkin, when I did the what Botkin calls induced after-death communication, was that I had the experience of, of actually hearing Jordan. He had very specific things to say to me. He had messages for his mom, and I heard him as if he was in the room. And it gave me that experience of he's still alive or he's still uh, exists and he's okay. And and so that was just a tremendous lightening of the pain. Uh, but I still wanted to have a conversation with him. I still wanted to be able to talk to him as you and I are talking now, uh, to ask questions and to uh, learn some things from him that, uh, that he knows that uh, I have no access to uh, on the other side. So I went to Ralph Metzner um, and uh, Ralph himself had lost his son and had learned over uh, a number of years uh, ways of communicating uh, uh, with those in the afterlife. And Ralph taught me how to do channeled writing or automatic writing. And of course, this is a, a technique that's been around for thousands of years and appears in ancient manuscripts and uh, is actually something that doesn't require clairaudience or any kind of special psychic ability, it's something uh, any one of us really can learn to do. And so he taught me how to do it. And that was the beginning of a, of a new world for me and my relationship to Jordan. Because now, using channel writing, I could ask him questions. I could, I could find out exactly what he thinks about things, things, what he knows from the perspective of, of the afterlife. Um, and channeled writing was uh, simple. How Ralph taught me to do it is you have to find a, a place that gives you a sense of, of, um, of solidness, of um, being centered in yourself. And I use a desk that my folks gave me when I was a kid. And you have to have a focusing agent. A candle works well. I have a candle that uh, is behind a blue glass mask that my daughter gave me. And I use that to focus my attention. You have to have an object that connects you to the dead. Uh, in my case, it's a little business card that Jordan printed up when he was in high school. It said Jordan McKay, uh, CEO, 
Omega Technologies and he used to use it to get into different uh, trade shows and and it was and it reminds me of his of his humor and and, and his audacity really and it, so it connects me to parts of him that I I love and I just have that present with me and then you need a a process to get open and um, able to listen and. Uh, People use different things. I used basic Vipassana meditation, just uh, paying attention to the breath, noticing thoughts, but returning my attention to the the seat of the breath. And after a a period of time doing that, I just feel ready. At that moment, anybody who wants to do this, uh, all you have to do is write down a question. And uh, I have a notebook there, and I'll I'll write a question that I want to ask Jordan. And I wait a moment. And usually one word will show up, and I will simply write that word down. And a short time after the word shows up, the sentence uh, forms, the rest of the sentence. And then it seems to open the channel, and now I get answers. And I oftentimes can't write fast enough to keep up because the, the, what he's saying to me almost, it arrives less in, in actual language than in awareness. And it just sort of downloads almost simultaneously the entire thought. And I have to catch up with the language to to actually fully capture what he's saying to me. And then it'll stop. And then I write down my next question. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. on it goes. So it's a very simple process. I'm speaking with Dr. Matthew McKay. He's the author of Seeking Jordan, How I Learned the Truth About Death and the Universe. And if you want to know more about the work of Dr. McKay, you can go to his website, seekingjordan.com. Or you can also go to the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org, to find that link to his website. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Matthew McKay, and he's the author of Seeking Jordan, How I Learned the Truth About Death and the Invisible Universe. Matthew, we were talking about channeled writing, and I want to ask you um, about doubt. How do you know, and I know you've asked yourself this question, how do you know you're not making it up? You can't escape Doubt, at least I can't. I think seeking and doubt are two realities that we have to live with. If, if we're going to seek uh, beyond the physical world and try to learn about how things really work uh, spiritually, 
there is no way that we can absolutely prove any of that. And there's no way I can absolutely prove to myself or anyone that the experience I have when I'm doing channeled writing is actual communication from Jordan. But here are the things that have helped me um, not erase doubt, but live more comfortably with it, shall I say. Um, the first thing is that Jordan says a lot of things to me that I am surprised by, things that actually I've never thought of or never occurred to me, uh, presents aspects of reality or, or aspects of the, of the life between lives, the afterlife, that really I, I would not have imagined concepts I would never have dreamt of. So I have the experience of being surprised, and that that is meaningful to me. Also, what he says is is couched in different ways than I use language. And so I'm finding that his way of talking about things often, um, it doesn't feel alien to me, but it feels like someone else talking. The other thing is that I've had confirmations uh, from uh people who, mediums, uh, who have actually been able to access Jordan and and confirm things that he has said to me. For example, um, Austin Wells, a well-known medium in the Los Angeles area, uh, met a, a um, friend of mine who, and, and Austin knew nothing about Jordan or me, and said to my friend, oh, um, there's a young man here who's who died suddenly and violently. I don't know what he's doing here, but uh, he seems to be writing a book with his father. And uh, she, so only six people in the world knew I was writing the book at that time. She certainly didn't. And um, her ability to confirm that, in fact, he was um, writing it with me without any prior knowledge of that uh, kind of, just, I mean, in the vernacular, it blew my mind. Right. I, didn't, I didn't expect that. Uh, later, I consulted her, and again, without knowing anything about what the content of the book was, she told me. She said, oh, yeah, yeah. so you and Jordan, the first the first four chapters are you seeking Jordan, and the last uh, five chapters are are really, you know, downloading uh, and, and his dictation, essentially. She said, and the last chapter, Jordan wants to be about blah, 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 and told me exactly <laughs> the, the intersection of spirituality and and science, and that's what he wants it to be about. And and she made it clear to me, and he made it clear to me, that he had sent me to her because since I use channel writing, I have to ask a question in order for him to answer it. And uh, it would never have occurred to me to ask the question about the intersection of science and spirituality. It just would never have occurred to me. So I had to go to her for him to tell me that's what the chapter is going to be about. So that just reminds me, I mean, you... Matthew, come from a very scientific background. I mean, this is this is not your normal everyday pursuit. Your your work with Wright Institute and being a professor and working with psychologists and cognitive science and all of that. So that's been your training. So this is really kind of beyond a bit of your training and um has has how has that affected you and and affected your work? Well, what concerns do you have? It has affected me because it feels like I'm living two lives. I'm having I've I've struggled to put them together. Uh, and when I was writing the book in the middle of the project, 
I suddenly found myself getting kind of paralyzed and having a difficulty moving forward with the, with the book and, in fact, actually losing energy for everything in my life, both both the psychology and science as well as trying to communicate with Jordan. And, and it was very disturbing. And uh, I went to Ralph Metzner and we did a, a past life regression and, and looked at a past life I'd had in a yeshiva. And Jordan what was, is an, uh, yeshiva? A, a yeshiva is a, a Jewish institution of, of learning where, where they train rabbis. And Jordan, and this is somewhere in the Middle Ages. Jordan and I had been in the yeshiva together. He was a an older rabbi who's learned, and I was a young brash uh, guy who uh, was just starting out. And he was my mentor. Uh, he died early. When he died in that life, I had tried tried to have some sort of communication with him. And then got in trouble with all the the learned men of the yeshiva because I was bringing back things that didn't fit with their concepts of the Torah and 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 the law, and so I ended up being uh, emotionally kicked out. I still lived there, but I was ostracized and made fun of. And and I got in touch with that's exactly the fear I have now. I mean, the the, the experience of the past life regression absolutely paralleled the. Uh, and and explicated the things that I'm afraid of that in the world of science in the world of psychology uh, that it does not really cotton to spirituality very much. Um, so that, your colleagues might reject. Uh, they would reject me, and I would be ostracized in the way in the way I was in that yeshiva. So it scared me, but oddly, the moment that that became clear to me, and the moment that life was revealed to me, I. I felt a lightening of the experience. It actually literally went away. I, I, I came to almost instantaneously accept, oh yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. That's what I uh, kind of expect will happen. I'm, I'm okay with it. If it happens, I can live with it. And, um, and somehow the feeling that I would be pushed out of my community it's just stopped being scary. And, and, and did that, in fact, happen? Or was that, is that your experience? Well, it, it is and it isn't. Uh, I've had a number of colleagues, in fact, people, I've, psychologists I've written books with, who have actually um, been very appreciative of my experience with Jordan. It's meant a lot to them, and, and several of them actually endorsed the book. On the other hand, there are people that I work with that I would never tell about seeking Jordan and my experiences. They just, it, it would be, uh, it, it would raise questions for them about my sanity. <laughs> so it's, I've, I've had to, to some extent, just live with the reality that there are people who absolutely won't accept it. People I know, I have friends who absolutely don't accept it, uh, let alone my, my scientific community. So uh, I have to live with and accept that uh, for many people, anything that is not the material world is uh, that can't be measured, that can't that we can't uh, uh, study uh, with with physical instruments uh, doesn't exist. So that that takes me back to to doubt and something that you said at the far end of doubt is certainty. Uh, so I, 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 
I think I resonate with that phrase, but I may not fully understand it as you've presented it. Can you unpack that a bit? Well, Jordan actually said that, and and what he was saying to me was this, I think, that um, people try to resolve doubt with certainty. They, at the far end of doubt, when you can't tolerate it anymore, when you can't stand it, you banish doubt, you get rid of uncertainty, and you replace it with dogma. You replace it with, I know what's going on. I, I mean, the same way that, that people who are into materialism replace uncertainty about what the world really is and why we're here with the certainty that the physical world is all there is. I mean, and whether you're talking about religious dogma or uh, materialism, it doesn't matter. Uh, the The experience of not knowing is so painful and for some people so uh, threatening that they have to resolve it by grabbing onto an, a way of organizing reality that uh, may not have any real validity, but but it resolves doubt and resolves fear. Right. It it gives us walls to lean against. I I, I guess like like womb like you know that we feel protected in some way. Um, so I I I really like to go go into now some of the lessons you've learned, some of the thoughts about life between life, the the classroom, so to speak, that that Jordan has described. So let let's talk about like um that portion of life. And I'm gonna call it life because it's it's there's death and there's birth, but in your terms, life is over all of that, that doesn't end. Absolutely right. So it's just one endless cycle of uh, incarnating into usually physical worlds, learning what we can learn there, and then leaving through something we call death. But it's just merely a transition into another phase of that very life that we're talking about. The purpose of life in general, whether it's here uh, on this planet or in the afterlife, the life between lives, the spirit world, from what I understand from Jordan is exactly the same. The purpose is to learn. Um, consciousness breaks up into, he tells me, individual souls, individual bits of consciousness, and sends those individual souls or bits of consciousness into the material world, physical world, to learn. And we learn, we gather wisdom. Uh, it's kind of like a beehive, he suggests. Uh, the bees go out to gather nectar, which is the wisdom, knowledge, uh, the, the experience of interacting with this physical world. They bring that wisdom and knowledge back to the hive, back to the whole, back to the divine, uh, back to all of collective consciousness. And so in the life between lives, we are... Part, part of our work, again, is still to learn, but we're digesting as individual souls everything that we experienced in a given life. And we review the Akashic Record. We, we look at each moment of that life, each choice we made during that life to 
understand its its impact. What what was the outcome of that choice? And that's where wisdom and knowledge comes from. If I do X, what happens? Uh, and through the Akashic Record and through Life Review, one of the things that happens in the afterlife is an awareness of how each choice we made affected every soul around us. Uh, and we feel their experience of our choice. We literally experience it as they experience it. So it's not just from our perspective, which we can only have our own perspective here on this planet, but we experience it all from their perspective. I'm here with Dr. Matthew McKay. He's the author of Seeking Jordan, How I Learned the Truth About Death and the Invisible Universe. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Matthew McKay, and we're talking about the life between lives. Uh, And uh, you mentioned something, Matthew, several times you used the term Akashic Records. What what exactly are you referring to? Well, the Akashic Record, in in terms of its use in the the spiritual world, uh, refers to, I mean, it's not literally a book. But it is a, a document, a documentation of every single life lived and every single choice, every single experience, every single moment in that life uh, and, and, and its influence and effect uh, on everyone around. And so we can, we can study the Akashic Record. We can literally enter it just like you'd, you'd open, a, say, a DVD and put, put it in your um, DVD machine and, and play it. And we can, we can literally look at that, what happened. But not only just look at it, but experience it as everyone around us is experiencing it, not only at that moment, but on into the future. How The impact of that decision, that particular act, that particular choice we made, on into the future, on everyone around us. So studying the Akashic Record teaches us about outcomes. It teaches us what happens when you do a particular thing. And it's how a lot of learning occurs in the life between lives and the afterlife. So, Matthew, I'm, I'm curious then if, if we do this review, let's say, in our, our, our life between life, uh, and how do then we access that once we get back into a new incarnation? It's a huge problem because we come here with amnesia, and, and it's done very deliberately. We come here forgetting where we come from, where where our home is. Uh, we come here without knowledge of our essential spiritual ex- existence, or even our purpose here. We 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 just we come with nothing, and and with a on top of that, a sense of deep aloneness. So we forget. All the souls we know, we forget the people who are uh, in our soul group, uh, and we arrive here very vulnerable because we know nothing. But it's very important that that amnesia is critical because we come here to take very seriously this life. 
we're, we we come here over and over again, and you can think of it. We show up from the afterlife with with people in our soul group and live these these lives, hundreds of them, and it's like a little repertory company. We just keep showing up with the same people, but often in different relationships. And sometimes people will be uh, husband wife, sometimes brother sister, sometimes adversaries. But th- these relationships are happening over and over again, life after life, and we're learning from them. I love that idea. It's like a repertory theater group yes. that we keep coming back with. And But as you've pointed out, it's an improv group, that it's not like a scripted sort of thing. You don't know what's going to happen. And each choice that we make influences how things turn out. There are probabilities, and we often show up uh, knowing, uh, or we make choices about what life we're going to enter, having some sense of the probabilities. But in fact, we come here and we make choices, and all of those probabilities begin to change over time. But the purpose of these lives, from what Jordan tells me, is actually uh, to grow and to learn. And we come to a physical universe for pain. We come here because pain exists in this place. Pain isn't, there's no pain in the afterlife. There's no pain uh, in, the, in, the, in the spiritual dimensions. And there are things we can learn with pain that we cannot learn there. For example, love there is very easy. It's telepathic, it's effortless, we, we connect with each other. The whole atmosphere that connects all of souls together is, is one of love. Um, and yet we come here and we've forgotten all of that. And, and the amnesia uh, forces us to relate to this place as it is, without any knowledge of the, of the afterlife or, or spiritual realities. So now we're facing this place in which we're trying to survive and we're in tremendous amounts of pain. And we are here to learn how to love in the face of pain. That is our main task here. Very difficult task. And it's a task that we can't, we can't learn that in the afterlife. We can't learn how to love facing pain because there is no pain there. But is, all right, so uh, is there any progression then? Or is there, again, I'm going back to that question, is there a way to access what we have learned in a past life? here in this material reality? And can we progress on that path of, of learning from pain, as you say? Absolutely. I mean, for example, when I did that past life regression to the yeshiva, I learned something that I can carry with me. I, 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 I see that there's a lesson there um, that I need to learn right now. Uh, I need to learn to stay connected to Jordan and keep learning the lessons that he gives me regardless of how people think about it or react. And we can do past life work and we can send people back to look at where they came from in previous lives. We can also do life between life regressions and help people see how they chose a particular life this time. What, why did they choose this body and this family and this environment? What, was the, what were the lessons they came here to learn? And they can actually identify what those lessons are and what their life purpose is now. And in doing so, liberate themselves from uh, some of the, the sense of, of, of drifting and uncertainty. Uh, so, yes, there, there are ways to access this. When we can do it through um, channel writing, we can th- do it through hypnosis, uh, we can do it through wise mind meditations. Of just, uh, we can do it through prayer. There are, there are a lot of ways that we can access 
our spiritual dimensions. And, um, and the ones I've documented in this book are just a few, really. I remember years ago, my, my late husband, Michael, um, he, he was having trouble with his own son. And uh, it, it was, they were just kind of going round and round in this cycle of behavior. And he went to Betty Bethard's. I don't know if you remember her years ago. She was from uh, Northern California and a medium. And she just really laughed when, she, when Michael sat down with her. And he said, oh, well, of course you're having trouble. He used to be your father in a past life. And, and it just explains so much for Michael. Now, whether it was true or not, it didn't even matter. It was like there was some resolution then in, in their dynamic because of that. Yeah. And there's a tension between the need for amnesia because it helps us take this play seriously. We, we, we have to believe it enough that we actually feel some of this pain, that we feel these losses. And when, peop- when the people we love die, we, f- we feel the loss and we have to struggle with that. If we had absolute certainty about what's gonna, what the afterlife is and where things are going, if we had no amnesia, we wouldn't take this seriously enough to learn from it. So that, that's one thing. But on the other hand, we can, with effort, learn to access deep spiritual truths and pierce that amnesia. And, and that's worth doing. And, and those people who seek this truth can find it. And, and, and so amnesia is a good thing because it helps us take the lessons seriously. But it's something that at a certain point and in certain lifetimes, we often find reason to push through and actually learn more deeply what's out there. I'd like to talk a bit about about consciousness per se. You know, uh, that consciousness, well, first, tell us what you know of the overall sense of consciousness that pervades the universe and what's its function. Well, Jordan tells me that consciousness is the universe, that... um, that is that consciousness created it and consciousness sends parts, little individual souls out to interact. He, he describes the universe as a play structure for consciousness. So consciousness creates this universe and then sends parts of itself out to experience it and learn from it. And so consciousness uh, is constantly evolving. This and, and this is different, I think, from some of the uh, religious concepts of God. A lot of the religious concepts of God suggests that God is perfect, God has evolved, or never evolved. It's, it, God, God has always been exactly uh, as, as he, he, she is, uh, and there is no growth, there is no change. And this is exactly uh, the opposite of what Jordan tells me. The collective consciousness, the divine, God, if you will, is constantly evolving and is never going to be perfect. The evolution continues for eternity. The growth continues for eternity. The the acquiring knowledge and wisdom continues for eternity. And the consciousness creates a new universe. When it's learned everything it has can learn from this universe, it, it creates another one and then interacts with that, another larger, more perfect universe to interact with that and learn from it. And each individual soul has its role in that. Each individual soul goes out and interacts and learns from that physical environment, brings it back. And then essentially everything we learn from each life 
is uploaded to collective consciousness, is, is essentially now contributed to what all of consciousness knows. And then we as individual souls merge in a kind of rhythm with collective consciousness, learning and experiencing what collective consciousness knows. So what I get from that idea, and when I read this in your book, I what I got was that, oh, right, God is in a classroom with us, is the way I, I and I never quite looked at it that way before, that we're all in this classroom together, and and then we contribute, we learn, and we contribute. And then God is in the class, as you say, and is evolving. Yes. It, it made sense to me. Somehow, it, 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 I, I resonated with it. Well, it starts with God is us, and yeah. we are God. And <clears throat> each individual soul uh, is part of all of consciousness, and joins and resonates back and forth from being aware of my individuality to joining and merging. And we, we, we keep oscillating back and forth in that experience. Uh, and since we're, we are God, yes, the classroom and every soul in it is God. And the, and the guides who are teaching us are, are God. And, and the masters who have larger understanding of, of spiritual truth, they're part of God. So we're we're all there learning together, and that is the purpose of everything. Whether we're on Earth or in or in the life between lives, the entire function of consciousness is to learn, to grow, to evolve, and acquire deeper knowledge and wisdom. So when somebody says, "Oh, I'm a lifelong learner," that's literally true. I mean, life after life after life, we continue to hopefully be open to learning. Yes, exactly. We're a many lifelong learner. Yeah, many lifelong learner. <laughs> and but but the thing also that elevates us, I think, and 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 gives our lives real meaning and importance, um, is that we are learning in the face of pain. We are learning through pain. The pain is the medium in which we learn. And so when we, and so you know our no, normal response to pain is, oh, I got to get rid of this. Uh, that's not the purpose of life. The purpose of life is to be, to be happy, not to be in pain. And actually, it's the exact opposite. The purpose of life is to struggle and to learn. And you can't struggle and learn uh, un- unless you're coming up against obstacles. Um, but Jordan calls it friction. You, ha- you have to have friction in order, to, in order to learn anything. You have to have resistance. I'm here with Dr. Matthew McKay. He's the author of Seeking Jordan, How I Learned the Truth About Death and the Invisible Universe. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Dr. Matthew McKay. He's the author of Seeking Jordan, How I Learned the Truth About Death and the Invisible Universe. Matthew, I want to—I almost called you Jordan. <laughs> that was interesting. <laughs> Matthew, I, I, one of the lessons that you have learned is that we are not alone in this universe, that we are, are in the company of both visible and invisible spirits, so to speak. So can you say something about that? We've come here thinking and feeling alone, and it's tremendously painful, and it's part of this environment, this school we come to on Earth, to feel alone. Uh, But in fact, we're connected to all. We are connected to all of consciousness, and um, that non-duality, that connected to to all feeling, is something we we can actually access through various kinds of meditation and other experiences that help us have this feeling of dissolving these these barriers because we're used to the skin and this flesh and the, and the, and this body that separates us from everything but in fact our souls are absolutely free to connect and when we allow ourselves to have that experience um, it actually uh, liberates us from the sort of the prison of our flesh so uh, you have also alluded to something about time <laughs> Time is an illusion, uh, although here we are in this material reality. We live in, in, I guess, what we might say, chronos time or chronological time. We live by the clock. We still live in the industrial age of, of a clock. And, but you say time is an illusion, or at least that's what Jordan has intimated. Well, time is an illusion in the sense that if time marks a loss— if I, there was a time that I could experience Jordan was alive, and now there's a time that he, I can't see him and he's gone. Uh, the illusion that that there was any loss there at all is is something that's really important for us to all know. No one that we love is lost, and that the the, the idea that that time marks that loss. There is that moment in nine, in 2008 where Jordan was gone, and I and I I have this illusion that that moment. Uh, marks something that 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 has any real meaning. Uh, in fact, there is no meaning. He just transitioned to being alive in a different dimension and continues to love me and stay connected to me. So time, in that sense, is meaningless. What what we what time really is is the measurement of change. And uh, you know, the, the hands of the clock move, and and simply they are, we see them changing in their in their direction and in relationship to each other. Time measures. Uh, change in the sense that you, you, you. Uh, when I go to San Francisco, for example, I see uh, buildings that weren't there when I was a kid, and I see empty lots that were buildings when I was a kid, and and we we see change as, and we and we recognize that time exists there. In the afterlife, there's a very different kind of time, not the time we have here. The change doesn't measure anything physical. The change in the afterlife, and if we can call it time. The experience of time in the afterlife is there was a time before I knew this and there's a time after I knew this. There was a time before this knowledge was available and this wisdom was available and then there was a time afterwards. Um, and so there's a, there is a before and after experience as consciousness evolves because as it evolves, it grows, it develops. 
And, and there was a time that it didn't have that knowledge and it hadn't developed to that point. And there was, and there's a time after that it has, and there's a time that lies before us when consciousness will know things that we can't even imagine now. And so time in that sense, if you, if you measure it as change in awareness, knowledge, and growth, that does exist in the afterlife, but it's not the time, the illusory time that we have here, that things are lost and th- and physical things fall apart and so forth. Those, those are just illusions. So I, I know that you've said that death is insignificant in mm-hmm. the face of this, that nothing is lost. No. So nothing that's a powerful, lost. powerful statement and that, a comforting one. My experience through many ways, I've, I've come to it through you know, working with mediums, through channeled writing, through the induced after-death communication, through, uh, you know, hypnotic regressions into past and between lives. Every means I've taken to learn about the afterlife has confirmed that there is no loss. There is no death in any real sense. That souls continue to stay connected and each soul connects, stays connected to all souls. This is immutable, and and our aloneness here is an illusion. And these losses that we suffer so deeply are illusory. They are just experiences to teach us. So one of the major themes in your book uh, and in the book that you have co-written and co-authored with Jordan, Across the Veil of Death, um, is that— Love is the basis of it all, and it's all about love. So can you say something about that? What he's made clear to me is that the the glue that connects all of consciousness, each individual soul and all of collective consciousness, is love. And love is every thought that we have, conscious thought we have um, uh, collectively and, and as souls, is in the direction of love. And the only thing that, you know, there is no such thing as evil, but, the, but the, what, what harms us is disconnection, is disconnecting with anger, disconnecting with rejection, disconnecting with tribalism, and there's, you know, there's the I'm good, you're bad kind of mentality. So disconnection is, is the thing that, that, that sort of breaks the, that glue that, that holds everything together. It breaks the love that holds everything together. And, and we have to keep learning how not to disconnect and how to, re, how to find that glue again, how to, how to experience the love that connects every one of us, including the people who have been victimized by uh, their victims, the, the, the victimizers and victims. I mean, when you think about um, the, the truth and reconciliation in South Africa, that in, instead of rejecting people uh, bringing them back together again, reconnecting them through love, and that and that is tapping into the central truth of the universe of 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 all of spirit that love connects us. And when we turn toward it, uh, we learn, we grow, we develop, and and our relationships um, feel joined and connected. When we turn away from it, when we disconnect. We, we learn how things break apart and what kind of pain that brings. I'm just reminded of, of that um, idea. I, I think it's a, uh, the, I think it's Chinese that a, a vase that is broken 
and then the pieces are starting to be put together with gold. And then the vase becomes even more valuable after it's all put together with these veins of gold. And I'm, I'm just thinking of the metaphor that this gold is the love that puts us all our pieces back together. That's a beautiful metaphor, and it makes so much sense. And it, it reunifies us. It holds us together. In, and what was broken or appeared to be broken uh, is one again. And, and the love is what makes the pieces one. Absolutely right. I mean, it's very lovely. I never heard that metaphor, but it, it makes complete sense to me. So what's, what's your work now? What, what, does it continue with Jordan? I mean, you finished the book, but are your conversations continuing with Jordan? Yes, we continue to talk uh, often. Uh, we're working on a, a kind of... Um, Spiritual process to, for uh, a process for spiritual growth is actually a an eight or a ten week um, experience uh, that people can have. It's sort of like uh, it's like therapy, but not therapy because it's all about spiritual growth. And he's helped me um, put together this this process, and we're going to start testing it out next fall. Uh, with That's people, the fall of 2016. Yeah, uh, with with people who have had uh, trauma, and uh, so it's you know there's something called post traumatic growth, and when people have gone through a trauma, and at the end of it, they're they've worked through the trauma, they've begun to uh, process it, but they still have their lives feel broken, and they don't know what the purpose of life is. What what you know what. What is my life about if if it's not just about dealing with this trauma? And doesn't it also still like live in the cells of the body in a somatic way? And some it, trauma does, right. and 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 it, and it, the body is reactive because it holds these old um, learned uh, responses essentially in the cells, and the, and there's a lot of truth in that. And trauma. When we get through it, there are still great questions. Well, how do I want to live? What do I want to be? Because all our life has been coping with the trauma, coping with the pain, trying to suppress the pain, push it away. Um, and and so the, the, this uh, group process that Jordan and I are developing is about uh, how to grow spiritually and, and how to find your life purpose after trauma. Beautiful, beautifully said, and and could be a very very exciting uh, program to to tap into. Anything else that you want to to add to this conversation about how we look for wisdom in all of this? Well, I just want to add something about science and spirituality because one of the things that we're going to be doing is we're going to start running these groups that are are about enhancing spirituality, finding life purpose, and so forth. But we can test them scientifically to see if people actually, um, uh, their lives improve. Does their well-being improve? Does their That's sense of, of, of a purpose here improve? That's great. So it comes back to your scientific background. I love it. Uh, Matthew, I just want to thank you so much for being part of New Dimensions today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. I've been speaking with Dr. Matthew McKay. He's the author of Seeking Jordan, How I Learned the Truth About Death and the Invisible Universe. If you want to know more about his work, go to his website, seekingjordan.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. 
You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3572. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.